We got Dan back in the house. Hello. How are things going? I'm good. Uh, still in New Orleans. Uh, just just living living my living my life. Well, I think we got to start with the taste of Canada for you here. Ugh, fuck. We got some new Nathan Masry stuff out there. He did an interview like a week ago, and it was way funnier than I expected it to be. He still just has the ability to surprise you with just absurd nonsense that's clearly not true and just very weird ways of seeing the world, you know? Yeah. It's also interesting to compare this to the article Josiah did like six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, good call. With the same premise. Like, not to shit too much on this guy, but it's like... Yeah, Josiah's article was uh, much better executed and also more human in a way, I think. Yeah, and more yeah. coherent. More, this is more, someone, I'm just going to guess this writer is like 22 or something because this is like the most purple of purple prose. Yeah. They're really trying to overwrite the thing. Yeah, I won't give them too much shit. That, yeah. that, that would be it. my guess too. But Yeah, I think when you're young, you're allowed to do that kind of thing, but it just makes it even more insane to read this article. Yeah. We should just jump. We should just read a lot of it because there's so much stuff in it. Um, I'm going to skip the first few paragraphs that are just pure insane purple prose but uh you know before the interview nathan masry was a character to me i looked at him like a crow looks at a scarecrow not as an aggregation of components but as a cultural representation without any heart i looked at him like a crow looks at a scarecrow i saw him and i got really scared (laughs) and i flew (laughs) off and i was like (laughs) i really wanted to eat that corn i wish that a tall man wasn't there in the cornfield i don't think crows fall for those i don't think so either I feel I bet like some birds do, but I bet crows. Yeah, don't. crows are too smart. You when know? I think of a scarecrow, I think of crows sitting on its shoulder, you know, in the sun setting. Yeah, I don't pure I, hubris on our our on our part that we think they wouldn't just use that as a perch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, crows are smart enough to know that guns are bad. Probably, if we teach them what guns are, then we just need to put guns everywhere, and they'll they'll stay away. <laughs> I like most animals idea. instinctively know that guns are bad due to the noise. Yeah, it's only humans who realize that they're actually good. Yeah. Well, what we need to do is we need to divert some money and just basically get make sure that America's farms and Canada's farms have solid air defense, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like we need Patriot missile systems. Uh we we need to start a lobby. Yeah, it'll act as a deterrent to the crows and they won't try anything funny. They'll just exist in peace. Exactly. Unless they develop j- uh jamming technology. Yeah. <laughs> How about a roof for outside? Yeah. 2023, we still don't have a roof for outside. And I don't mean a tent. I mean a real one. Yeah, like a big roof, solid roof. uh, The Iranians are going to sell crows in America, some kind of jamming technology. (laughs) Well, let's see. Oh, yeah. The other thing about this writer in this article is like, I think they're trying their best to be really sincere, but it comes off as ironic with stuff like this. In 2018, Nathan, as the world's youngest ever Garfield licensee, like using his own terminology there, mm-hmm. opened a Garfield licensed restaurant, Garfield Eats. Beginning in Dubai, it soon expanded to Toronto in 2019. As we know, shortly after this largely <laughs> innocuous restaurant began to face difficulties. How is it largely innocuous? I know that's very What does strange. that mean? Also, the word like, it's not sinister. dangerous. A little bit it's of not going to kill anybody. Yeah. Also, like, the word is just expanded. a restaurant, I guess. Expanded. You don't have to use expanded when you're talking about Garfield, Garfield Eats. He opened another one. I think it one. moved. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. opened location number two. Yeah. Yes. I don't think exactly. the original one was still opening. Yeah. This is not expansion. But here's where we get to Nathan's, uh, you know, I don't know. He's got plenty of exciting new things to say here. So you want to know why it closed down, Nathan said. And, you know, it's very simple. Paramount terminated the license agreement. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. COVID, the lockdown. I worked really hard to, you know, bring a taste of Garfield through delivery. And until we were able to reopen, we continued to serve Garfield's or lasagna. We continued to serve lasagna's Garfield shaped pizzas. Hey, right and there. Garfuccino coffee. Lasagna's Garfield shaped pizzas. Is that how he tried to get out of the like copyright thing? So that's what it seems like. I was confused by that. Lasagna's Garfield. Uh, Because that stuck out to me because I think what he did was he basically was like, well, I can't call it a Garfield lasagna because I don't own (laughs) the the likeness. So I'm going to call it I'm going to call the thing lasagna's. Yeah. Capital L lasagna selling a Garfield shaped as an adjective pizza. Uh, yes, and las- not a Garfield. The, the, the company Lasagna's will sell a Garfield shaped pizza. 
Yeah, that's so that's awesome really to be looking for a loophole when Garfield adds nothing to the business. Like, yeah. how does that help you sell any of this stuff? How, does, how does Garfield help you sell Garfuccino? Like, why the shape even, of the pizza is what makes you the pizza use inferior. a different character. <laughs> like, the pizza has those two nubs sticking off the side. It's so weird. No one wants that. Yeah, the, the, I, would steal, I would steal Chef Boyardee. Yes, exactly. Lasagna's Chef Boyardee shaped Garfield pizza. Okay. Now that I'm rereading this, I love this article even more than I thought because it alternates between the weird voice of the writer and the weird voice of Nathan. <laughs> now we're back to the writer here. While the brick and mortar Garfield eats has passed on, the feelings <laughs> that created it remain with photos on Nathan's social media showcasing Nathan in his custom made Garfield orange suit, which he then later sold off with the proceeds going to charity. I love cartoons and there was relevance. Garfield ate lasagna, he said. Mm -hmm. There were tacos for Taco Bell. Burgers for McDonald's, pizza for Pizza Hut. Lasagna was an untapped market, so I wanted to make <laughs> lasagna fast food, and I had an app. We had a beautiful app. You can still download it on Android, by the way. We had, app. App. we had a beautiful app. We had a beautiful app, and they indicted me. <laughs> yeah. They took it away from me. Yeah, Paramount Lasagna can't me. be fast food. There's a reason it's not fast food. Because it comes in a big tray. It's messy. You have to eat it with a fork. It's Guess not what? a his sandwich. Signature item, his signature item was pizza. It was <laughs> lasagna's Garfield-shaped pizza. Lasagna. He pivoted to lasagna when people didn't go to the brick-and-mortar pizza place. Like, when the pizza thing failed, then he pivoted to lasagna. And it was... Wasn't it briefly, like... Oh, like it, it was Scooby-Doo brand lasagna. For it us. was, yeah. It became... Yeah, he was selling the uh, frozen, like it was like, it wasn't even a restaurant. It was like in the frozen aisle at the grocery store. It was Scooby-Doo lasagna. Yes. <laughs> and they already sell the Scooby snacks. I mean, yeah. I respect Nathan for his hustle. I respect him for wanting to be an innovator. But when you're working with such a small pool of content and, you, <laughs> and you're unable to like expand your mind beyond lasagna, Scooby-Doo and Garfield. Like, he has a very unique sense of hustle where he's telling readers to download a defunct Android app that doesn't do anything. <laughs> That's beautiful, so though, weird. Charles. It's yeah, beautiful. yeah. No one else would do that. Just to look at it. Look at the UI. Yeah. Yeah, see, it did you exist. You could order pizza on here. Yeah. You can't now, but you could in 2019. <laughs> yeah, if this was 2020, this app would get a pizza right hot and ready for you. Yeah. Oh my God. Garfield Eats was such an intergaging, a Masri made portmanteau of in entertaining and engaging moment of corporate food history that it's easy to forget the process both before and after that led to its creation. For us, the peanut gallery public, it's just the blink of a lizard's eyelid on a bald night. Okay. What? For Masri, it was everything. So, what oh, is the is... process? I hope we find out. I think it was uh, borrow money from his dad and open a Garfield restaurant in Toronto. That was Because he doesn't get into it at all. No, he, he just goes not. to a new topic. He does not get into it. And this one, I guess you could say this is also Trump-esque, but it's more like uniquely Nathan than it is a Trump thing here. He just out of nowhere says, Jim Davis and I are best friends. Yeah, I We love still this. email and he's doing great. You know, he's an elderly man now and he's lived quite a life. I really saw him as my godfather. I looked up to him so much. And when I first shook his hand, and you know, he was so strong and tall, it was a magical moment for me. Whoa, and what? I was starstruck also. <laughs> he was a big guy. Yeah. He's strong and tall. Big strong boy who loves to draw cats. So weird. And I'm sure he's overselling that. Like, I don't know if he even met Jim Davis. He's definitely not friends with him. I believe that he emailed friends. him or that he... He has like yeah. a contract with Jim Davis Enterprises, LLC. Yes. And I believe but, the uh, email return to send ratio for Nathan is probably like 10 to 1, where once a month yeah. they're, like, they're like, hello, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Masri, please stop. Thank you very much for your concern. I think Jim Davis would be pretty surprised if you said that this random Emirati guy considers him his godfather. Yeah. <laughs> He's like 87 years old. It's like, what? Huh? I asked him whether he felt like he was grieving the loss of Garfield. And he said, you carry this idea of Garfield within you. Or no, this is the author still, sorry. Oh, you wow. carry this idea okay. of Garfield within you. Would you say there's a sense of loss? And Nathan says, I did. I went on a hiatus. I left Instagram for about six months and I had to grieve. 
I had to grieve. I mean, I wore him for a while. That's what they taught me in branding and marketing courses. Live the brand. Oh my feel God. Feel the brand. Be the brand. And what I did is I took it too far and I lost myself. I forgot who Nathan Masry was. The cat will never leave me. The cat will oh never leave God. me. Oh my God. Fucking. This is Heart of Darkness if like Colonel Kurtz got rescued from the jungle. <laughs> or he's like Philip Seymour Hoffman or something. He's so yeah. dedicated to this character. Yeah. What marketing courses did he take? Because he doesn't know too much about marketing. Yeah, he has a very yeah. interesting idea of marketing. Dubai School of Business School. He's definitely not by the book. No, he's a maverick. You wouldn't have Scooby-Doo lasagna. That has to <laughs> shut down after two months. <laughs> I think if you... I'd That's like to meet point. his like, professors. If you just think of any random like replacement level leader of some small food, like packaged food company... And they got a license for Scooby-Doo lasagna. You could probably sell that in like Walmarts for years and make like a certain amount of money. You know, yeah. it wouldn't, wouldn't be glamorous, but you could do that. Especially to screw it up that fast is pretty amazing. You can just sell it around Halloween and still probably make a profit, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. that's the thing. A lot of things that are licensed with old properties like that, like Flintstones vitamins. That's just sort yeah. of a legacy thing. Yeah. No one really knows why there are Flintstones vitamins. Kids today don't like the Flintstones. And if you suggested that now, if that didn't exist and you said, how about vitamins shaped like Fred Flintstone and they're made for four year olds, people would be like, you're a fucking idiot. Why would anyone ever give you money? And this is that sort of, uh, that sort of product where if you had Scooby-Doo lasagna, yeah. Like if you had a, if you had all the economy of scale going already, you could put it out and people would be like, oh, okay. Scooby-Doo. All Can right. you imagine being the guy who works in like the food division of Hanna-Barbera <laughs> and this guy approaches you like really excited about how he wants to make Scooby-Doo lasagna and you're like, lasagna? All right. I mean, wearing a Garfield just like rubber suit. stamp this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bizarre. And he's so proud of himself for being the world's youngest licensee. And I'm sure they're, they're like, well, we appreciate your enthusiasm, Nathan. Is it? Is it kind of up in the air whether like he actually had the license to begin with? It seems um, like he did have it, but I don't know. I guess he's like not a reliable narrator. No, because... I don't know the scope of the license. Like, yeah. I don't know if they give out different licenses. I doubt there's one they give you where it says you can use Garfield for whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of thinking the license thing is probably a Jim Davis is my best friend thing. Yeah, it's yeah. very possible. I don't know how to dig into that in Canada. If there's like some database you can look for that, or if it's like small enough where private companies don't have to disclose something so insignificant. Yeah. yeah. I just wish they would actually ask him what happened. I know. Like what happened with the restaurant? Yeah. He, yeah. They he, missed so many opportunities here. Very frustrating. But also, he's, you can't expect him to tell the truth either. No, you can't. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you could get that out of him. I think. Even if he wanted to be honest, I don't think he could be honest. I think you could kind yeah. of trick him into telling the truth. I think if you got him riled up enough, you know. Yeah, yeah if you yeah. worked with him to make a biopic. Oh, he would love that. Like when we watched his shitty videos he made when we read his book. Yeah. That skit about like the like Israeli and Palestinian in like the store in LA. Or oh my God. You know what? The world needs to see that right now. <laughs> That's true. It's what we need. He can heal it. Yeah. You would have to pretend to make a biopic or actually make one and then get all of his like home videos mm -hmm. from the 80s and 90s and interview his parents and his extended family i would, would have to, to do that level of research of to even get 10 percent of the way into nathan masry yeah absolutely all right oh this one we're gonna get into his politics at the end of this paragraph here this is some pretty good stuff mm. during the brief window that it was open nathan and garfield eats have created an outsized effect the concept drew both hate and love there were articles mocking North America's first Garfield-licensed restaurant, while Garfield fans welcomed a place to dish down on a pizza the shape of their favorite cat's face. Which ones? Where? Yeah. Where? Who's Who? Whom? <laughs> like, I don't remember that happening in Toronto. Yeah, it's another, like, it's like Alex was saying with the Flintstones vitamins. Like, I don't know how many people this yeah. actually is exciting to. But. The only people I know that like Garfield are doing it ironically. Yeah. And even that kind of faded out. <laughs> Like yeah, 10 exactly. years ago, you heard more Garfield jokes and Garfield yeah. ironic humor. Or like Garfield yeah. without Garfield and stuff like that. Or like yeah, a, like it was that wave kind of crested already. Yeah, like or it 
Yeah, if you were in like a surf punk band from uh, Echo Park, you would get a Stone Garfield tattoo. Yes, exactly. But it was the residue from those people were the only that that's the closest that they got to earnest fans. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond this, Nathan himself has vocally waged a war on injustices of our society, taking shots at land monsters, a neologism made to replace landlord, and taxation. With a recent Twitter post, now deleted, calling for a tax-free country. I love that weird dichotomy of things right there. His politics are so funny. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. pure small business owner mindset. Yes. Yeah. Or commercial landlords, fuck those guys. But you know who's even worse? Employees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's totally yeah. his, his perspective. Here. I think Can he you... just didn't pay the rent. And I don't blame him because it was in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Like licensing probably... business space in Toronto. Like, I why think would you do right. that? As we get farther in this, I think he says some evidence toward that being right. Because it wasn't making money. It's probably like $15,000 a month or something like that. And you have like, to make a lot of money to justify that. You have to fun- be the Apple store. It's funny, Nathan Masry being like land monsters. Like, I agree with him, but also. I can imagine Nathan Masry owning like the worst nightmarish Airbnb you could possibly imagine. Oh, totally. Oh, absolutely. If the shoe's on the other foot, he would be a slumlord instantly. Absolutely. He totally, I mean, all of that, that docu- the, the fake reality show that he made, or I guess it was a real reality show that he made, uh, all of the stuff in and around his employees, the way he treats them, even if it's a yeah, put it's on, like is like you weird just, disdain. Just absolute disdain and kind of like, like disgust. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah, they're like if pieces he, uh, of his little world that aren't cooperating. Oh man, yeah, that need to be disciplined into uh in, in back into order, like the yeah. vision. The vision is suffering. Yeah, don't you believe in lasagna brand Garfield pizzas? Don't you believe? Isn't the, uh, now that I'm thinking of landlords, isn't the guy from Waves also named Nathan? The, he is. He's a fucking landlord yeah. too. Yeah. And he's the kind of guy who would have a stoned Garfield tattoo. Yeah, yeah stick it. I can picture yeah. the Stone Garfield tattoo perfectly from living in Los Angeles from 2010 to 2012. It's stick yeah. and poke. It's on the bicep or uh, a calf. Um, it looks like shit, and Garf- Garfield's kind of melted in stone. And then there's a Simpsons tattoo <laughs> on the other arm. Also, stick yes, and poke. exactly. It must suck to be a guy like that who got raked over the coals for being a landlord or having an Airbnb, and now Air- Airbnbs are being banned. <laughs> <laughs> and the money's going way down, and now they're yeah, no they're one probably going to sell them. Like either. the Waves guy probably sold his property already in Hannibal Burris. Yeah, because yeah. they realized like, oh, yeah. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, I don't I have to make phone guy. calls and shit. Like this isn't this isn't actually enjoyable at all. Yeah. But now they're always they're always going to be tarnished with that. Yeah, that's like when we talked about Chris Brown buying those. Um, which franchise was it? I forget which fast food place. Uh, maybe Popeyes. Yeah, something like that. And then he uh, took out a he huge just, loan and then a two didn't million pay dollar back. loan that he just never paid back. And it's he like was it's not make that fun to run a fast food franchise. Like, yeah, you yeah. don't have to do that as a musician. That's a step down for him. Yeah, Dr. Dre is not running like twenty different Wendy's franchises. No, he's he knows where the money is. Same with Jay Z. He's making one stupid headphone and then just selling that. You know. Would you rather have dinner with Jay-Z or your own Popeye's franchise? Ooh, I want to have Ooh. dinner with Jay-Z at the Popeye's. Oh, that's a good idea. Did you see that um, there was a clip going around of some random like fan yelling at Jay-Z at the airport? Like, hey, Jay-Z, I still love you, but I would take the 500K over dinner with you. And it's like, Jay-Z obviously has no idea what that hypothetical is. He's never <laughs> heard of that. Someone's got to tell him. S- screaming that at Jay-Z at the airport. And he's like, hey, man, yeah, good to see a fan. Why does he go to the airport? I don't know. It might have been for something. I'm not really... I don't know what the context was, but... Seems like he would be flying around in a helicopter or something. Yeah. <laughs> but he would be It could have been some that. other, like, some other, like, drab, shitty hallway that wasn't an airport. I guess I'm like a... Uh, like I, a I'm business conference that. or something? Yeah, some, some kind of miserable thing. It yeah. was at the Bilderberg Group. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm still imagining Nathan Masry being a landlord, though. Of Can you imagine how much joy, like, he would put so much joy into decorating the whole building like Garfield, and then the living conditions would just be terrible, That's and he'd exactly, be unresponsive. Imagine turning a light, like, you come in late to Toronto, your flight's delayed, you're like, God, I just want to get to my Airbnb and, like, get some sleep, and you flip the lights on it, it's just Garfield everything, and the mattress yeah. is, like, <laughs> damp, like... Nothing works. 
There's the like light a, bulbs are orange. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. And he left you free Scooby Doo or Scooby Doo lasagna in the freezer as a yes, gift. Exactly. But the microwave is broken. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the internet that does about right. does not work. <laughs> okay, here I think Alex, this is getting toward your theory that he just like couldn't pay rent or anything. He starts going on about uh, his his like political beliefs and everything. Even closing down a business needs a budget. And the landlord, I call them the land monster, yeah. he gave us hell. I always said, you may have the keys. I have the Garfield fans. And with that, <laughs> I won. And I kept rent as low as possible until he wanted more and more. Why is someone st- still struggling to buy a piece of bread? It's all about money. You talk to me about ethics, morality, and it'll override it. We live in a triangle. There's someone up there in the pyramid that is really controlling this world. I mean, I know who, but maybe we'll leave that for another interview. That's ominous. Oh, my mm. God. All right. Mm. Who could he possibly be mm. talking about? <laughs> yeah, uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt here and assume he means uh, Jim Davis or something. Yeah, exactly. I'm... That's if I get into a conflict with my landlord, uh, I am going to tell him exactly the same thing. I'm going to be like, "You may have the keys, but I have the Nathan <laughs> Masri fans." Yeah, that's such an. There's even no fucking way he said that to the landlord. Like the landlord is actually like scared of him. Like, oh damn, it's right. He does control the Garfield fans. They're all going to leave if I if I rent this to a different client. I'm sure the landlord is scared of him, but just because he's crazy, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> true. He just doesn't want to deal with this guy. Emailed him like 50 times a night about his Garfield business. And he's like, look, fine. I'll just keep the rent how it is. Yeah, it's fine. You can just pay uh, 12500 a month, dude. He's probably emailing as his own fans. Yes. He probably has oh, I doubt that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He is the Garfield fans. Yeah. God, that would be so funny to harass a landlord with sock accounts pretending to love Garfield so much that you want to harass someone else's landlord. That'd be I, really cool. I think it's very unfair what you're doing to Mr. Masri. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to bring us joy in lasagna. Yeah. Oh. All right, let's see. It goes Nathan. on. The boundaries of capitalism are pushed, but so are those of sexuality. And huh? the the writer asks, that's like that's the writer saying uh, okay. bizarre stuff, but the writer asks him, you seem to hold quite high value to the fact that Garfield is celibate. Could you explain why that holds such importance? Obviously, it's extremely valid. They're like really anxious about, you know, mm-hmm. trying not to offend him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nathan clarified his position. Garfield is almost 43 years old, I think. That's like saying Bart Simpson is 30 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. Garfield yeah, is almost 40 years, the, years old. He's a cat. Yeah. In cat years, he'd be like hundreds of years old. Yeah, he'd be ancient. Yeah, obviously, you know, he might have crushes here and there, but he's a selfish person who loves himself. And yes, he's celibate, and so am I. Is Nathan implying that he's also a selfish person who loves himself? That's very bizarre. They didn't really get much out of him. No. Nathan's too powerful for this person, you know? Like... Yeah. Like his... I do think, though... There's a, this next one actually maybe has the clearest details that we can extrapolate from yet. Um, honestly, Nathan said, I've spent $1.5 million on Garfield Eats. Yes, but I haven't made that. Imagine having all this taken away from you after you spend that much. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. No one gives a shit. Imagine <laughs> how people want to try to take away from you, but they don't know that there is a fight in good men. There's a huge warrior inside of good men. And once you keep pushing, if that warrior comes out, they will win. Why? God is with the good. And now we are getting ourselves trademarked. My father wanted me to be a corporate lawyer. There's a lot to unpack there. That is pure yeah. small business mindset. Yeah. You put a bunch of money into a storefront for a business that's fundamentally stupid. That yeah. anyone could tell you will never make money purely out of vanity. And then when it goes out of business, like everyone could have told you, you think it's being taken away from you. Yes. It's being taken away from you by the government. Yes. It's not by a them. real business. They don't give a it's shit. A of course business. they don't give a shit. Like Why that money was taken away when you started spending it on something that would never make the money back. Yeah. yeah. It actually it actually totally reminds me of um, like British Columbia uh, just – 
basically ratified this law about Airbnbs. So they're quote unquote cracking down on Airbnbs. And I saw this like news piece from CTV. So Victoria has like a housing crisis and there are, you know, just tons of Airbnb rentals, like rent, like everywhere, like rent is through the fucking roof. Like there are no jobs, like whatever, like, and these people, the, the Airbnb owners are definitely like a, a part of that. But the local news media, like the CTV news in BC, has decided to take the side of the, of the fucking Airbnb owners. So I watched this five-minute clip on one of the Airbnb owners basically crying about how he only makes $200 more than the mortgage by renting it out monthly. <laughs> and, like, the entire thing was... it's it's. Yeah, it's basically what you were talking about, Alex. But yeah, small business owner mindset. Like he's just like, I worked so hard for this. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it's a charity. Like, yeah, like, like it's this, this pile of money thing. for doing nothing. Like it's, it's one thing to find a way to make money through arbitrage. Yeah. To be a middleman. It's not yeah. morally good, but it is a way to make money. But then to bitch about it and act like, oh, I'm just trying to help people. Like, get out of yeah, here. Yeah, fuck off. And in a building where 27 out of the 30 units are short-term rentals. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, so amazing. It's like yeah, when people so open subway franchises. Yeah. It was totally overextended. They were opening them across the street from each other. And then they stopped making money because people realized subway sucks. And then some stuff happened with Jared. And now they have to close them down. And I'm sure yeah. they all think the same way. Yeah, it's like a, they just hate sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an entitlement that's completely born out of uh, out of yeah, just this this weird ideology of the small business owner being yeah, you're entitled to like success somehow just just because you're doing the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're entitled to find a way to be a middleman and make it be profitable with minimal effort. With minimal effort, like you you uh, transform labor into an email job and you should be rich, but you're not rich. So what happened? Yeah. What happened? What happened with my Garfield themed pizza restaurant? If you can't find that, you don't have to work harder. Someone else has to make it for you. Yeah, exactly. I think the fact that Nathan Masry can admit that he has not made $1.5 million separates him from like the grind set guys. Yeah. Where like none of those guys could ever admit that they lost money on this, you know? No. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't really have a coherent like play. Like to his credit, he's just being himself at all times. But the person he is is very baffling and this weird mixture of, yeah, like entitlement mixed with some weird, like, I don't know this weird idea of how you should brand things and this love of brands as if it has some kind of intrinsic worth to be a brand, you know, yeah. he's like somewhere on like, uh, I want to say spectrum. That's a little too on the nose, but between like a pure grind set guy who only cares about profit and then someone who only cares about their crazy idea that could never be profitable. And like yeah. Steve jobs was a little more toward that. Yeah. Like there are business figures like that who are kind of like quote unquote visionaries. They have weird ideas that are kind of out of left field, but they have a way to make them profitable. But he's all the way in the other direction where he just, I don't think he thinks about that at all. Like it would validate him. I think especially because of his family background, if his dad wanted him to be a corporate lawyer, that would validate his Garfield bullshit if it was profitable. Absolutely. But I don't think that's what he wants. I think he just wants people to pay attention to his Garfield stuff. And they, he, yeah. at the end of the day, he just wants people to like him and be excited, you know, for him. That's true. And it's like, well, maybe the business world isn't for you then. <laughs> yeah. Like you're not interested in running like a successful business. You just want to make yourself the center of attention and have fun. You know, there's gotta be a place in the world for Nathan Masry where he can do all of this. You know, maybe he won't make he money, be, but <laughs> you know, like those Japanese mascots that like all the various towns have. Yes. Maybe he could be one of those. Absolutely. If, if dressed up like Garfield, man, yeah, he was meant to spawn in Japan. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If this is a great final or, you know, like, like redemption arc for Nathan Masri, where he takes all of his remaining resources and starts a campaign to petition the city of Toronto to adopt Garfield as the city's mascot. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he just needs to move to Japan and he can be like, you know, the Yokohama Garfield who encourages people to clean up their litter. Or yeah. Whatever. We're in Nakabura prefecture <laughs> speaking with Nathan Masri. <laughs> <Yeah. Masterson. laughs>
Let's see. We only got a few more paragraphs here. Oh, this is so... God, this writer just so... They're so afraid of, like, not being on his good side. Yeah. Where, oh, we didn't it even really interrogate doesn't this matter. End of, the end of that was insane, too, where he said, we're getting ourselves trademarked. My father wanted me to be a corporate lawyer. Yeah. And Wild. The writer responds, whoa, that's a heavy expectation. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, Nathan replied, you know, I always wanted to make him proud. But, you know, he is proud now. I've done something. And I would love to tell other, you know, young people out there, don't be scared. Get out there, you know. Get out there and do something. Stop blabbing about me and others on social media. Oh. Really? There's no way his dad is proud. His dad is like, he's just a fail son who wasted $1.5 million on his stupid idea. Mm-hmm. And now his dad's going to have to give him some other thing to do to waste his time, you know. Yep. What is he doing other than posting on social media? Um, he's Well, I was going to say he's making his Nathfield podcast, but he stopped after three episodes, I think. Oh, so. really? Oh. They were very incoherent. We could listen to those someday on here. Is he still, because I haven't been on Twitter in a while, like, is he still kind of doing the Nathfield persona with the um, sort of like, uh, a, the, like the asexual angel person, Gabby or whatever her name is. And I haven't checked on the last thing I saw about him was from the Toronto mayoral election where he was uh, supporting like the most conservative candidate and saying uh, negative things about immigrants. And it was all pre- it was pretty uh, bad. Uh, okay. So I stopped looking at his feed after that. Yeah, I've had to. I mean, I've had to turn away from Nathan's feed sometimes when it's gotten too dark. But I think what happens is something bad happens in his personal and business life and uh, he externalizes that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine that for sure. So, okay, looking at his feed now, the last like four or five things he posted were about this article we're reading right now. And the thing before that was that he had a Twitter space called Nine Lives with Nathan Masry <laughs> and the post got zero likes. So oh. I don't know if anyone went to the space. Yeah, I don't know. Like... I think more people would go to the space if he wasn't saying insane shit about immigrants and supporting like the worst mayoral candidate in Toronto, you know? Yeah. I wish he was getting more traction. I don't know why he doesn't. Like, it's not like people haven't written about him and promoted him. And he is weird. He is crazy. And he does post a lot of crazy stuff online, but he just can't seem to get it off the ground. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't he's know. He's always like, a new I, crazy thing because he doesn't stick with it. You know, he's got to stick with one crazy thing. Yeah, and he also just doesn't have a mind for what is popular. He really yeah, that's part of why he's so brilliant. But he he doesn't get what would he doesn't understand what would get him a bunch of retweets. No, no for sure. Yeah, he can't. Really, he's not really good at social media for sure. No, that's it's too bad because that's where he should thrive. Mm-hmm. A weird guy like got, him who's like uh, a singular, creative, weird, a driven person. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, he's just singular enough to get attention if he could channel it properly, but he just can't. Like, this is another one that got zero engagement of any kind. He just said, for tax-free country. Like, he's just still thinking about the thing he said in this article of he thinks there should be no taxes. Right. No, Nathan. Wow, there's a lot of things he posts that just get zero, zero, zero. It's been like that for forever, though. Like, oh my God, wait, check this one out. People think the right are the ones who want to censor, but fascist comes from the left typically as an offshoot of socialism. Zero engagement. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh God. Here, Okay. Here's the one before that. That also got zero engagement. It's a slippery slope. Once a government regulates, it will turn off any discussion that puts them in a position to censor anyone who opposes them. He's against all regulation. Yeah. He wants to put broken glass uh, in one out of every 25 Garfield pizzas and have that be okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, roll yeah, this is more, Garfield's like, trick. <laughs> this is why he doesn't get any engagement though. It's like, He's goofy enough to become like a character, but then he posts stuff like this and no one wants to deal with him, you know? Yeah. I mean, do you guys think maybe he's posting this shit because he's trying to attract engagement? Like he's mirroring or... Yeah, that's a good point. Like like he sees, you know, he sees people posting stuff like this and he sees it sort of generating a conversation. Yeah, on some level. Yeah. He might also actually believe it too. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, unfortunately he might, but I think you're right. Like he seems to be 
emulating it. Because his older videos, like that one we were talking about, like the Israeli and Palestinian one was, the message of that was like, why can't we all get along? Yeah. And now he seems to be a lot more like divisive, you know? Yeah. The, the, I think uh, I think his experience during COVID hardened him, you know? Yeah. Um, let's wrap this article up with a, uh, there's a paragraph at the end that's just pure purple prose from the author. Let's go. Got to give people a taste of this. Talking to Nathan Masri was akin to seeing the capture of Christ by Bartolomeo Manfredi for the first time. I recall being struck by how lifelike Manfredi's painting of Jesus' arrest was, how it seemed so revolutionary to see Jesus as human, taken by human hands. And Judas, so lovingly portrayed in Borges's Three Visions of Judas, whose betrayal has thundered for millennia, was himself simply acting on human feelings. To speak to Masri was to uncover the skin under the sculpture, the man behind the mockery, the heart that beats in us all. Okay. Well... I don't know. Or he's just a guy who made it's a Garfield-shaped pizza. Or like you just <laughs> learned about this fucking statue and you... You know, you want to talk about it in your article, like yeah. <laughs> the betrayal of Judas is like nineteen hundred ninety years ago. It's very yeah. close to millennia, but it's a millennium and a half. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. it has thundered for less than two millennia. Yeah, it has thundered like, for nineteen hundred ninety years. Yeah, it's thundered for one millennia and a good number of centuries. Yeah, one millennium, some number of score after that. Some yeah. scores of years. <laughs> that that article is a really good example of just two crazy people coming together and ch- generating a big mess, and then you know, like <laughs> yeah, I, it's so weird. I'm not any I'm not any more clear on what happened to Nathan, or <laughs> you know, like where his business is going, what his plans are, or what he believes in. That's it's a good very point. funny the way the the way the author sets it up. Like you got to hear what this guy says. This guy is so crazy. This guy is changing the world. You got to <laughs> hear this nothing. shit. And then they ask him, and he's like, "Yes, it was very fun starting my business. I lost one point <laughs> one point five million dollars. I hate my landlord. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not that interesting. Yeah. No. And they also just didn't even ask him token questions like, "What's next for Nathan Masri?" You know? No, or like, "What's the deal with the with the angel?" You know? Let's let's hear about that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to know: the cosmology what is, of the the Nath verse. Yeah, yeah. Let's dig in. What is the pantheon of gods? You know, who are who is the great old one of the Nath verse? I think the angel's name was Gabby. I remember that much. The angel's name was definitely Gabby. Oh yeah. And I remember Ga- now. And Gabby was like no, was was like sexual uh gender fluid basically. Yeah. Which was I thought someone was, was asexual. Yeah, which I thought was a I weird remember. detail and maybe a maybe a clue, you know, into into yeah. Nathan's own mindset. But yeah, it seems sadly I don't see him posting about that stuff anymore. It's all just about how fascism is actually leftist. <laughs> oh wow. It's playing the hits. I'll have to look into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know they called it the National Socialist Party, right? That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess it's time to switch gears here. Dan, you found some good stuff here of, uh, you know, as probably most people who listen to this know, Bandcamp was sold to Song Trader. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everything. Yes. Rock I fucking on. love Song Trader. Fucking everyone loves Song Trader with an R at the end, you know? Yeah. Get rid of that E. Fuck I don't the want that e. e in there. Everybody. No lo- vowels. Everybody loves. All musicians love a uh, royalty platform started by a dance music producer from Australia uh, whose main purpose is to uh, provide music for like streaming platforms like Twitch and YouTube uh, that are completely copyright free and pass like a trickle of that money on to the artists who make it. Because that's that's basically what Song Trader does. You got to squeeze the little guy. Squeeze the little guy, give him a couple drops of juice, you know, because you got to you got to keep them making music. You can't starve them out completely. Um, Song Trader, like you, it's a subscription based platform. I didn't realize that until today. But um, but basically it's it's 20. I think it's 24 bucks for an individual, like if you're a streamer. Um, and then you get access to the Song Trader library, and then it's eighty nine dollars or something like it's a thousand dollars a year uh, if you're like a brand, and then for like a bigger company, it's like a sliding scale pricing thing that they don't reveal. Um, and you get music that's not free, but it's also not as good as real music. 
it's eighty dollars. Like like the way it breaks down is, uh, you know, one of their internal sort of articles for their quote unquote blog uh, basically talks about how uh, you could license this song for eighty dollars a year, which means the price of your song trader subscription, right? So yeah. So so yeah. So Epic Games bought Bandcamp then sold it to song trader probably because they had to settle that Fortnite lawsuit right which one was that the the one about uh taking children's personal information <laughs> oh yeah uh, they settled for some absurd amount of money and then divested themselves from bandcamp and like i don't know everybody listening to this probably knows but bandcamp like for it has its faults, but it's like the best thing going for if if you're in like a noise band or a kraut rock band or you play jazz or like you know anything anything that's like non commercial, but also like for bands starting out, it's it's pretty fucking great. Like like they pay you, uh, they will you know you can press records. Uh, they had a brick and mortar store, but my favorite thing about them has been their editorial con content because like and we'll see like when we dig into this fucking article from bank uh from song traders blog but like music journalism is really on the ropes and one of the only things that's good right now is or was good is the Bandcamp daily and you know Bandcamp will their editorial staff will do guides to a certain genre of music and they're very well written and super well thought out you know so it's like a even if you're not downloading shit, it's like a nice resource where it was and now it's fucked. So, yeah. So song trader bought Bandcamp from Epic and, uh, with, I think the idea, I think the long game for song trader is that they are going to take everything on Bandcamp. They're going to give every band like a, uh, basically like, do you opt in or opt out and then add that to their library catalog song traders library catalog um and then apply their own royalty rates to it you know yeah you know what take it anyway. you can have it like that's the value give me the two cents yeah exactly like if i'm song trader and i'm looking at Bandcamp, obviously the value there is in the just the massive uh stuff that i see as content that i can give to yeah uh, like if you're clients. looking for punk songs or ambient songs or something that sounds good but people haven't heard and it would be cheap to get yeah that's where you would look yeah exactly Makes sense exactly so i think that'll be the next thing but what what they've done first is that they've laid off over 50 percent of bandcamp staff and they did it in a really weaselly way where bandcamp was unionized their union sent a formal letter to song traders uh management and didn't receive a response until very late, like a couple of days ago. And then Song Trader announced, oops, we're, we're laying people off. Uh, they claimed, they got asked about it by a bunch of media outlets, and they claimed that they offered those people jobs at Song Trader, which turned out not to be entirely true. But the other thing that they did, another whoops that they did, was they uh, got rid of all of the senior union staff. Yeah, and I think they had claimed that they didn't have access to the list of who was part of it, but they clearly did. Yeah, so the whole fucking bargaining. They didn't have access to their public Twitter accounts where they talked about it. Yeah, and, yeah, and put the and put <laughs> There's the no union way they could have known. Yeah, so uh, so that's basically it. They're they are going to destroy that um, that website, but like. That platform. Yeah, and certainly the editorial content above all else of like I I might be wrong, but I feel like they said there's still like three people on staff there, basically. Yeah, that's right. They cut it by two thirds. So there are three people on staff and they're claiming they're like, oh, we're still gonna do Bandcamp Fridays and like but you know. Yeah, probably for like it. one year and then they'll never talk about it again. The money goes to us. Yeah. A hundred percent of the money goes to Song Trader this Friday. And it's not like, you know, so like the it's not like song trader is a known entity, you know, like when I was talking to other people, like people at record labels, when this happened, they're like, I, I don't know what the fuck song trader is. My publisher was like, yeah. I don't know what song trader is, you know, yeah, I didn't know what it is. No one. Yeah, me neither. Well, so yeah, I, I was looking around at their blog and, uh, you know, cause I wanted to see what their internal, you know, internal messaging was like, like, what do they do? And, 
I found an incredible article um, called Rock Music is the Perfect Condiment for This Fast Food Brand by Nick Fulton. Yeah. You know, I like to imagine this is the future of Bandcamp editorial right here, too. <laughs> I'd, like, yeah, I'd like to imagine that this is the future of music journalism, because not to be too hard on Nick Fulton, but Nick Fulton uh, has, you know, basically wrote as a freelancer for like ID, Rolling Stone, Billboard. I, oh, actually, I don't know Rolling Stone, but Billboard, definitely. He also wrote for Vice consistently, Noisy, and also wrote for Bandcamp. But his new article has kind of a like uh, kind of a different tone, I guess. But this isn't even that new. This is from March of this year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. That's, I think that's kind of good though. This is good to like check this out because it's something before the Bandcamp stuff went down. Of like, this is the kind of stuff they're producing for Song Trader, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is it's a brutal uh, article. Like yeah. to be someone who's who's like written real stuff before and has a soul to write this. To turn in this copy, I think you would have to drink a lot. You gotta take. I, mean, I have. A, you gotta take a I big have shower. compassion for that. From when I worked at Groupon, I understand what this is like. But let's go. It's so. It's so good, man. It just gets me hyped about music. Yeah, it does. Okay, rock music is the perfect condiment for this fast food brand. The energy that food provides ensures that our cognitive abilities and decision-making skills stay strong. What? When we breathe in oxygen, it makes our lungs feel so good. Damn, yeah. dude. Similarly, the energy provided by the music we listen to powers our emotions. Duh. One American fast food company has cleverly intertwined the mental, physical, and emotional responses triggered by both food and music into its advertising campaign. God damn it. This is like an alien. If only... It's, it's just describing a song in a Taco Bell commercial. Man, we can <laughs> measure how much energy in kilojoules, like, say, like half a Hershey chocolate bar is going to give us... You know, if only we could measure in some kind of metric the emotional power that listening to music gives us. If we could somehow squeeze it into a box and spit out some numbers, yeah. <laughs> you know, that would I be good. I also appreciate that the the term Taco Bell hasn't been used yet. Like, it's some big surprise he's saving up, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. I also, I hate the idea that music is something that you have to consume. It's like yeah, food. yeah. It's something that you have to buy, that you it's have food to- food for your emotions. You, yeah, it's like food for your emotions. You have to pay song trader money to have your emotions. Like, that's not even true. If anything, it probably dampens people's emotions. Yeah, it makes you- Because yeah. they makes, listen to stuff to feel better, and then they don't feel emotional anymore. Yeah, and and this article, too, I mean, we'll read more of it, but there's, I just realized there's an absolutely fundamental flaw with this article is like, because they're so fucking concerned about, like, finding the demographic, like- prying in to the granular demographic like how is this gonna what song is gonna appeal to the most people and if i was successfully targeted by this and saw a taco bell commercial with one of my favorite songs on it i would be fucking bummed i would yeah, give absolutely. me that specifically 2023 feeling of like existential misery you know yeah absolutely uh, Would you be hungry? Big reveal, his big reveal, though, uh, you've probably heard this company and possibly eaten its food. Wow, this writing is bad in the opposite way of the Nathan Masri article. <laughs> like, it's so alien and clinical rather than like purple, you know? Yeah. Taco Bell sells food. Food is <laughs> yeah. made up of calories. Calories provide energy for humans, they put it in their <laughs> mouth. <laughs> so you've possibly eaten its food. If you haven't, you've undoubtedly seen and heard its ads, which feature the company's iconic Sonic logo, the bong. The bong. We're talking, of course, about Taco Bell, the American fast food restaurant chain famous for its unique flavor combinations, bold and spicy sauces, and creative menu items. Unique flavor Aside combinations. I'm sorry. It all tastes the same. <laughs> It's, it's just the same shit in it's, each thing. It's famous for making people sick. Let's not lie. It's also yeah. famous for having like five ingredients that all come out of a gun. That's like anybody, yeah. everybody knows that about Taco Bell. Like, fuck off with this. Aside from food, Taco Bell is renowned for its marketing campaigns, which are often humorous, irreverent, and designed to appeal to young people. Huh. The company's advertisements have become cultural touchstones, and its pop culture references and social media presence have helped to build a strong connection with its customers. Yeah, it's so epic on social media when they're like clapping back at Wendy's. <laughs> I don't know if they have cultural touchstones. There's the no dog, way. but people yeah, kind of like forgot about the dog. <laughs> yeah. Like I barely remember that. I wouldn't call that a touchstone. 
Then there's the, yeah. the Dave Navarro Liv Moss screenshot. Yeah. There's a combination Taco Bell Pizza Hut, but that wasn't really their doing. Oh. That was yeah, yeah. That's racist. That's racist. Yeah. And those guys all got me too'd. R.I.P. You can't put that in a commercial. <laughs> However, one crucial element of the company's marketing efforts that often goes unnoticed is its use of music. While the company's Sonic logo, the previously mentioned bong, bong. is instantly recognizable, Insight's data from SongTrader's enterprise product shows how the company uses music in less obvious ways to reach its target audience. An analysis of music used in six recent Taco Bell commercials shows how the company uses fast-paced rock songs ranging in tempo from 150 to oh 170 God. BPM to market its products. Music of this nature typically contains a high energy level, eliciting happy, excited, and exuberant moods. Energy was the number one song Song characteristic in all six songs used by Taco Bell, helping it generate excitement and euphoria around its meal options. This is all common sense. Of course, they use an up-tempo song. Yeah, yeah what are they going to use, use a like sad song? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we used "Avalanche" by Leonard Cohen to sell the eight-layer crunch wrap. It was a disaster. <laughs> People they told put us Lana to Del kill. Rey in their People commercial. told us to kill ourselves. <laughs> People didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> They put Lana Del Rey at double speed. That'll work. Yeah. It's the night hyper pop. The nightcore remix of Lana Del Rey pulled badly. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, there's three of these. Let's just read one. Should we read the one for Meet Me at the Altar, Turnstyle, or Doja Cat? Oh, uh, Turnstyle, please. Okay. That's very funny. <laughs> so here's a bunch of people out so much. Yeah, I, this is exactly what I was talking about. I've listened to Turnstile. It's made man. so many people sigh. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Imagine being a fan of Turnstile and then reading this stuff. Yeah. Uh, Turnstile Holiday. A similar sounding track appears in an October 22. 22- a Taco Bell commercial for nacho fries. <laughs> I love Here, this. Taco Bell licensed the song Holiday from the Baltimore hardcore punk band Turnstile, which has an 86% energy rating. I need to know how they came up with this. I need to know the back end on this. Yeah, it's incredible. Like Meet Me at the Altar, Turnstile's music is most popular among teens and young adults, according to detailed audience demographic data. So Turnstile's Holiday has 54% danceability, 86% energy, 66% instrumentalness. Shut the door. What's going on here? What's, what's, what is liveness? <laughs> what the fuck is no idea. Instrumentalness. instrumentalness and speechiness? 4% How speechiness and 32% opposite. valence. Yeah, it's so How is it 4% bizarre, speechiness Wait, but 66% instrumentalness? So what's the other 30%? Speechiness. What are they? Yeah, it's speechy, just arbitrary. Speechiness, yeah. is that like, is that like, 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 like the song has a message? I don't know. Or is it's it, like they don't explain. Singing? Or is it the words per minute? Like, no I figured idea. it was just how much vocals is in the clip they use. So we have two things which are like danceability and energy, which are fairly understandable, real, real things, even though they're like trying to quantify it by some weird metric. Then we have three things that are completely made up and don't make any sense. And then we have at the end, valence. Yeah, Valence. what the fuck does that mean? The it makes no sense. The cold. And also, uh, they use different sections of the song. Like, commercials are 15 seconds. So they could use a chorus. They could use a verse. They could use the intro. They could use the bridge. They could use any section. So that changes. If you're just feeding in the whole song, like, how many vocals are in the song, that doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. Because they could have just used the intro. Yeah. And once again, yeah. it just absolutely fucking rules that the last bastion of uh, sort of like uh, getting creative, getting artists paid and like celebrating. You know, I the, one of the last Bandcamp things I read was they they just profiled this tiny tape label that does dungeon synth music and black metal. And it's like a handful of people putting out a ton of releases. I had never heard of it. And it was, you know, I was just like, this is great. Like. It's, yeah, it's the literal opposite of this. It's inspiring to know that there are weirdos making things, seeing them to their completion, like having these just like bizarre, singular artistic visions. And, you know, unlike Nathan Masry, like sealing the deal on them, yeah. you know, finishing them. And even if you don't like the music, it's like, I remember I listened to a bunch of tracks off this thing and was like, some of this is not for me, but I should probably finish like a couple of songs, you know? It was inspiring. Yeah, totally. What's not inspiring is seeing a 66% rating for instrumentalness on the Turnstile Holiday track that was in a fucking commercial for Nacho Fries. Like, I do like that Doja <laughs> Cat got an 88% energy rating. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bet you did. Yeah. High energy. Um, it's also funny that Taco Bell didn't use these metrics. They're just applying their metrics to Taco Bell's music. But it's yeah. not like Taco Bell needed this shit to figure that out. Taco Bell's like, oh, we'll use fast songs. Yeah, no shit, you will. You no, know? it's because this fucking, this, sorry, this platform this makes me so mad. Like, this platform doesn't need to exist. It. Oh, totally. There's yeah. no reason for it. And I'm glad Nick Fulton has a job writing for them. But, like, none of this stuff needs to exist. It's I mean, only this is a get, pretty humiliating writing job, you know? It's only it's getting in the way. Like, it's... It's just making things worse. <laughs> Let's see. We can skip around here. I'm going to read a few more paragraphs. How does rock music align with Taco Bell's brand? Rock music is robust, heavy, and naturally propulsive in nature and is often associated with physical activity. On Hell the emotional yeah. front, it typically triggers happiness, excitement, and a positive outlook. Science is helping us understand why. This is just so. This is not writing about music at this point. This is just pure marketing writing, you know. Yes. Yeah. What science is there? It causes a twelve percent increase in head banging. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the science is a 2012 study by researchers at the University of Groningen in uh, the Netherlands uh, that investigated people's perceptions and responses to different music and how it affected their motivation, mood, and mindset. The study asked participants to listen to three distinct pieces of music, one rock song, one classical piece, and one pop song. Participants were then asked to rate their emotions on a scale of positive to negative. This kind of reminds me of when, um, like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, like, in the early 2000s when fast food restaurants aggressively started playing classical music outside to disperse homeless people. Uh, Or or maybe that was just Vancouver, but, uh, yeah. Yep. That's a good thing to write about really clinically like this. Studies show that classical music dispersed homeless people with an 86% effectiveness. <laughs> exactly. I what were they playing specifically? I can't remember. I mean, it's just just like generic classical music. Like nothing too crazy, you know? They should have done like, like 20th century Schubert. classical that's more like atonal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bella Bartok. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 12-tone stuff. That would disperse people. Yeah, exactly. You can't accidentally do the relaxing classical music. That's usually what people go for. Like 99% of people, if you ask them to give baby you some Mozart. classical music, yeah, it's going to be baby Mozart. Some Brahms. Here's the thing. They need a specific music that will draw in paying customers and scare off non-paying homeless people. Yeah. There needs to be a type of music that the homeless can't stand that everyone else loves. I think somewhere during that study, there was a marketing guy uh, thinking about like a crust punk walking towards like a McDonald's uh, about to order like a single cheeseburger, destroy the bathroom and spend all day there. And then thinking about playing him Mozart and him plugging his ears and running away, you know, yeah. like, I'm freaking out, man. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> I've been blasting all Bon Berg out the window to disperse homeless people, but it turns out they're all down on their luck serial music composers. Exactly. <laughs> they love it. They love it. They think they're it's bringing great. their friends. Let's see. Get to a few more sentences here of like the best stuff in the bottom of this article. Music is critical in helping brands connect emotionally with customers and generating brand affinity. This is fundamental because it helps create a loyal customer base, provokes positive word of mouth, builds brand equity, and provides resilience during challenging times. It's just like word salad at that point. I don't think music really provides resilience during challenging times for Taco Bell's nacho fries. It does not. Do they have a contract with Taco Bell or are they just doing pick-me shit? It seems like pick me shit because I don't think that they don't have I a think contract with Taco Bell. Yeah, there's just saying so that Taco Bell's music is energetic. Yeah, which is like, Taco Bell trying to knows attract that clients they, like Taco Bell. Which is again, you why put we, in a, an up tempo rock song and that's good for a commercial. Like you don't need yeah. some nerd to be like, oh, it's thirteen percent rockiness uh, in, increases teen uh, enjoyment of music. Yeah, I mean, if I was. If I had my shit on Bandcamp and I was trying to decide whether I wanted to join, like be absorbed into the song trader hive mind, and I read, I, there's no reason I would read this either. Like, I'm not sure who's reading this beyond us, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Ideally, Taco uh, Bell reads it, but yeah, why would they? But why would they? But if I did read this, I would be like, no, thank you. This doesn't seem like a great company. It seems like they're. They're uh, soliciting Taco Bell business on their own, like, quote unquote, blog. Like, if yeah, there actually is an algorithm for that graph, knows. 
They should let people use that. Yeah, exactly. Free the code, song trader. I want to see the valence <laughs> for my music. Yeah. Yeah, good call. The, the, that would be the how you do it. You get everyone to give them their music by people running it through that, posting it on Twitter, and then they, they have like a, a small print thing where they own the music now. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> There it is. Whoops. You didn't read. You, you collect, uh, you, you clicked, uh, uh, accept all. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this type of, this caliber of work on Bandcamp in the future. Oh, me too. And at the bottom, it, it kind of brings it all home where the, the way the article ends is want to discuss music strategy or license a popular song? Get in touch. Yeah. I think we will. I think we will. We thank God for a damn time.